The following Dharma talk was given by Jody Hojin Kimmel at the Zen Center of New York City. Hojin Sensei is the abbot of the Zen Center and head priest at Zen Mountain Monastery. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org slash zcnyc. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to those of you who are new. I introduce myself, but I'm glad to see you all here today. And um, this is a startup special kind of day for us here. Um, we're kind of running parallel with the monastery. This is the beginning of um, what we call Ango, the rains retreat, even though we haven't had rains or monsoons here. Um, that's its origins. And at this moment at the monastery, um, many people are entering. Their names are being read aloud. Some of you here are on that list that are formally participating in a 90-day intensive training period. Um, and this lineup of reading names actually goes back to the 1200s, to Dogen's time, where people who were entering Ango were, their names were read. So there's a entering uh, ceremony at the monastery. And here, we're doing the same thing. Um, not with the list, but we'll do that next week, maybe. <laughs> I don't have it yet. <laughs> They're just entering. But it's in, it's in um, accord with the seasons, yeah, the changing seasons. So it's twice a year that we do this intensification in the fall and in the spring again. So we're just moving out of a summer training period. And it's kind of like those of you in, in, the, in, in the secular life, there's cycles. You had your summer and now everybody's going back to school or there's new things starting up. It's a new cycle. So we're here. All of you are here today for, for the reason of engaging the Buddha's Dharma, Dharma practice, which is a path of peace. The Buddha was said to be a great physician um, that offered us medicine for all of our mind um, topsy-turviness, all of our relatedness, as a way to ground ourselves in what is real and true. And he said in the Karaniya Metta Sutta, which is Buddha's words on loving kindness, he said, this is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with our duties and frugal in our ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, 
not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove, wishing in gladness and in safety may all beings be at ease. And this ongo is just that. It's called peaceful dwelling. That's how the name translates. Peaceful dwelling. And peace is not so easy (laughs) all the time. And it comes from meeting our unease, our anxiety. We, 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 in meeting that, that's exactly where we learn peace. We need that, the tension of those opposites to actually find peace from something, in something. The practice of Buddhism is a kind of art. The art of being peace the art of promoting peace in society and in the world. So how do we maintain a strong spirit no matter what the outside world presents? Hmm. That's practice. That's the remedies Buddha gave us. That's what he was attending to. All of us need to learn this art of how to be at peace and how to promote peace. So in your family, in your community, in your work, in society, to follow the first precept, not make harm, like shoot for peace. <laughs> like it's so easy to make harm. <laughs> there is a tree sitter and an official came and said, his name was uh, Bird Nest, because he, he practiced in a tree. And the official came and said, looks pretty precarious up there, Bird Nest. And Bird Nest looked down at the official and said, looks pretty precarious down there. <laughs> it is. We don't have to be up in a tree. So when we look deeply into ourselves, we can all realize there are these elements of war. Thich Nhat Hanh speaks a lot about this, that are in us, and especially when we feel our tension and the tensions that build up in us. Sometimes our fears, our emotions... our despair, our wrong thinking, our, the Buddha called it, we think topsy-turvy. There's kind of like a war going on within our mind. Elements of aggression. You might even experience it just how, you, how we meet a thought. And do we get like really pissed off at ourselves? Oh, a thought. <laughs> you know, or it's just like, oh, a thought has arisen, and it's a, it's, you see what it is, you see what kind of thought it is. Sometimes they're warlike thoughts, sometimes they're other kinds of thoughts. So to recognize these elements in us, to take care of them, 
is how we can transform them. We have to practice being mindful, mindful breathing. So you can test this out. If you're in a big, angry, tangle, breathe. Take a deep breath and see how that may open up your spaciousness for that moment before you create more harm in the reaction. So we begin to learn that. That's probably the most effective tool is mindfulness. Mindfulness of feelings, mindfulness of emotions, mindfulness of body. And then that allows us to release the tension and use it where the energy can be more efficient. And when we're able to make peace with our body, through that entering the body, that those tensions, then we can make peace with our feelings and our emotions. We have painful feelings. We have strong emotions. And we don't always know how to handle them. And in practice, we have a way to recognize the painful feeling, the painful emotion in us, in order to embrace them and bring relief and transform them. And then we understand that in others that are right in front of us, going through the same thing. Right? Everyone we look at suffers. Everyone we look at. Everyone we look at. And it doesn't just belong to us. We know there's, there's a lot connected to this suffering, but it lands in this body in this particular way. As Thich Nhat Hanh would teach, breathing in, I recognize the painful feeling, the painful emotion within me. Breathing out, I release the tension in my feelings in my emotions, learning to recognize, embrace, and transform the emotion. So this is the art that we're learning of making peace with ourselves, peaceful dwelling. The Buddha helped us recognize mental formations. Among them, our thinking We know that we still have a lot of topsy-turvy thinking. I just love that word. It's just so true. It's like, oh my God, so topsy-turvy. Wrong thinking. Just just not, not seeing properly. Not having a right view. And from that comes wrong speech. Wrong actions. And that's what causes the tension between us and others and groups and nations, and there it goes. This is why the practice begins with coming home to ourself, what we just learned in Zazen this morning. Coming home to yourself. Taking care of what's in this place right here first as we're serving others, as we're relational, of course. 
Ango is translated as peaceful dwelling, to abide peacefully, rest at ease, dwell content. I think those are good ways of understanding it. And the practice of Ango goes back at least 2,508 years to the time of the Buddha. Um, and, <clears throat> and his early Sangha. And amazingly, it has made it here to State Street. All those centuries were practicing the Buddha's Dharma. It was very connected, as I said, and in tune with the earth, with its cycles, with the cycles of the moon, the seasons, and the wisdom of nature. So each year in India, where the Buddha was, there was monsoons, monsoon, and the rains began. So you can just imagine if we're in the rain season here, and this is the time of the Buddha here, and like State Street, the Hudson is just gone way up. And we can't go anywhere. We're all here. It's kind of like that. We have this part that's dry, and we can rest here, but we can't cross over to Manhattan or anywhere else. We're here. Pretty close. That's how they were. So they set up temporary housing. They created kind of a university because the Buddha wasn't traveling either. The Buddha was right there with them. Can you imagine how they felt? Oh my God, we've got the Buddha for 90 days. Oh my God. Keep raining, keep raining. (laughs) And also there were other teachers that had been traveling around, the Buddha's disciples, were going to other communities and learning different methods of meditation and practice. And they were also in this one place. So you were getting a whole plethora of different teachings to, to work with. But the emphasis was on collective practice, working really closely with the Buddha and the other teachers and the disciples and the Sangha. And you know what happens when we're really in close quarters, right? We get smoothed out pretty quickly. The the warlike nature comes forward and we get the opportunity to smooth ourselves out with each other. And while there's a great, um, great value in solitary practice, we need to develop that for ourselves. that you can go home and sit with yourself. That's a solitary practice. It was critical in COVID. And if you didn't have one, it happened big time in COVID when we were all in quarantine. I saw students' practices just begin to soar because there was nowhere to go. The rains were very close, and you were just in your seclusion, and people were faced with, do I sit down? Where is practice? Do I have to go to a place? Why do I go to a place? Because we need sangha. We need community. It's a jewel. Why is it a jewel? It's one of the three treasures to have community. The Buddha, our wisdom, Aware, sky-like mind, our vastness, our Buddha nature, the Shakyamuni, the Dharma, the teachings, 
that there is something that is real and true in accord, the law, the way things work, the way things truly are. That's the Dharma, the teachings, and the community that practices together. So the Sangha is the um, the jewel of harmony. <laughs> and that makes good sense to find that. So it was a really exquisite time for the Sangha to practice their, refine their skills and meditation, discover new practices. And traditionally, it was a monastic practice. It was, all the mona- it was all monastics, thousands of monastics. That was one thing that was, well, you couldn't really tell, but, you know, being a Buddhist culture, it was wonderful to be in places like Japan or some of you may have traveled around where you're in a monastic country. And now it's not, not just monastics. It's you. It's lay people, people in the world practicing ango, all-inclusive. Everyone is included to formally or informally participate. Pema Chodron writes, consistent, me- consistent meditation builds in a person the capacity to become so familiar and so open-hearted and so honest about who you are and what you do that you begin to understand humanness altogether. And then you can then speak appropriately to the situation. The goal is not a problem to solve, to make our bodies and minds and hearts different than they are or to become better than we already are not to reorder or organize ourselves towards a universal standard, but to remember ourselves. Remember. That's sati, sati patana, the Buddha's first teachings on mindfulness. To remember our true nature, who we are within a situation, and to work with ourselves rather than struggle against or resist what arises. So I would like to uh, give you some of the components of the ango. Um, We usually have a theme, and this theme is not, there is a theme, sort of. (laughs) It's the moon. The moon. The moon thusness. Tsuki is the name in Japanese. And, uh, of course, the moon has been bound to life and consciousness since the beginning of humankind, and probably before that, it's always been there. And in, in Dogen's fascicle, who, who wrote it, Master Dogen, a 12th century Zen master, there's the concrete moon, that we see, the ball in the sky. And then he's speaking about it, of course, in other ways, as our illuminated Buddha mind, our Buddha nature. Shugen Roshi emphasized um, a part that we'll um, be focusing on. It goes like this. 
Shakyamuni Buddha said, Buddha's true Dharma body is the as it is of open sky. The open sky is the as it is of Buddha's true Dharma body. Because it is Buddha's true Dharma body, the entire earth, the entire universe, all phenomena and all appearances are open sky. Hundreds of grasses and myriad forms, each appearing as it is, are nothing but Buddha's true Dharma body, thusness of the moon and water. So we'll study this true Dharma body as it is taught and experienced in the Buddhist path. We'll explore the profound implications of the phrase, in response to things, forms appear. In response to things, forms appear through the teaching of dependent origination. This being, that becomes. That being, this becomes. That's of dependent origination. The causal conditions. And we'll examine and discuss how this manifests as wisdom and compassion in our lives and upon our great earth, both as suffering and as liberation, as greed, anger, and delusion, and as wisdom, compassion, and enlightenment. We'll also work with some of the verses of the elder nuns at the time of the Buddha, the Theragatha. They were there in the beginning, at the time of the Buddha. We chanted some of the women's names this morning. So we'll open to their poems to open, which opens us anywhere on the spectrum of gender. We don't really know who these people were. They're people. Awakening is an intimate experience of the heart, so to read and study stories of the ancestors is to become them. To become what is genuine and true for all of us. Open, present, clear, compassion, meeting each boundless moment exactly as it is. So I'll be bringing in their poems and biographies so we can get to know them. And we'll look at the Bhikkhuni Samyutta. These are the nuns who refute Mara. You know Mara? You may not know the name, but you know Mara. <laughs> Mara. Mara, we have a, rest, we have a little drive-through um, food place in Mount Tremper. It's called Mara on the Go. <laughs> and I always love it because 
Mara is that part of us. So we have this Buddha mind that's, that's wide open, that's, um, you know, uh, accepting and vast. And then we have this part that gets real narrow, like a valve, and turns us away from what we know is good for us. Like you might have met Mara this morning. Okay, so you wake up early and you're like going to go to the temple. Then Mara shows up on your shoulder. What are you doing? Where are you going? What? You're going to a temple? I don't know. Really? Go back to sleep. Go back to sleep. It's Sunday. And then you, Buddha mind comes in and says, nope, going. I'm going. (laughs) This is what I want to do. And we always have this Mara mind. Buddha said until his dying day, he was always aware of Mara. So don't think he got out of it. He was always aware of some part that was going to turn. And so this is, the, the. interestingly enough, it's not in the men's poems, but here's the, the women have a whole section on the nuns who refuted Mara. Like, it's very interesting <laughs> that Mara is all written up that they come to the women practitioners to try to turn them away. So I'd like to examine that, why, why Mara was written up just, they had the, the combat with the Mara. And so the practices, as we get familiar with our habits of mind, that habit of turning away comes from somewhere. It's not random. It's like we might see it everywhere when we get close to our power, when we get many ways that we might, Mara arises in our mind, that we can turn to Mara and say, I know your name. I know your name. Have a seat. Have a seat, Mara. There's many tales of Mara meeting um, hermits in their hermitages and hermitesses in their hermitage where Mara comes in and they're expecting to become enlightened and they're going to this hermitage and tucking themselves in and for the first like year it's nothing but like Mara you know just squatting at their mind just like like dealing with this stuff inside right until it, we settle down and so it's nothing to fight with you know finally Milarapa when the when the demons were coming and, and attacking him in his zazen, and he was like going mad, practically mad, almost had to leave his hermitage. One day he turned and he just said, come into my living room, I'll serve you tea. And you know what? When we do that, Mara's not interested. It's just quiet, it's like we have to do it a lot, but they like, we like the fight. There's something in the fight and the annoyance. And if we can quiet that fight and that annoyance, that part of us is not interested. Said simply, not so simple. Look at your last period of zazen, okay? (laughs) Need I tell you. So we'll look at these poems. And then we have art practice. Now, I I, am... I consider this 
Fire Lotus, the home of Dharma and art practice as a path. And this fall we'll work with the quote from Master Hongzhi, in clarity wonder exists with spiritual energy shining on its own. In clarity, wonder exists, right? We know that. Like when we're clear, like all of a sudden everything opens and we're like, I wonder, I wonder. So in clarity, wonder exists. And there's an energy, a spiritual energy that comes through on all on its own when we get ourselves out of the way. And we know this, that's what keeps us going, because we know those moments where we let go and we could feel that radiance coming through. Even just a, a bit, it seeps into the gap. So to take up a f- time to express the instruction, as you can read it on the web, look at a tree, a flower, a plant, the moon, any aspect of this vast world. Let your awareness rest upon it. Examine how still it is, how deeply rooted it is in its natural state. Allow the many beings of this earth to show you stillness, how to stay, as does the moon, in its own completeness. That's the key point, that each thing is complete in itself. The moon is never not complete in any phase. There's no beginning, no ending. And then what's it like to go inside of something? So suppose you're working with, it could be abstract, of course, but suppose your abstraction is coming from a rock as your subject. What's it like on the inside? Can you go inside your subject and create the expression from being on the inside in movement, in drawing, in voice, um, instruments, however you want to do it, poems? I wanted to share this uh, fine poem by Charles Simic as an example of being on the inside. It's called Stone. Go inside a stone. That would be my way. Let somebody else become a dove or gnash with a tiger's tooth. I am happy to be a stone. From the outside, the stone is a riddle. No one knows how to answer it. Yet within, it must be cool and quiet. Even though a cow steps on it full weight, even though a child throws it in a river. The stone sinks, unperturbed, to the bottom, to the river bottom, where the fishes come to knock on it and listen. I have seen sparks fly out when two stones are rubbed, so perhaps it is not dark inside after all. Perhaps there is a moon shining from somewhere as though lit, as though behind a hill. Just enough light to make out the strange writings, the star charts on the inner walls.
What's it like on the inside of something? Evelyn Underhill, who writes about mysticism and the way a mystic sees, wrote, Surrender yourself to be without selfish preoccupation. Clear your mind of prejudice. All that I ask is that we shall feel for a little time in a special and undivided manner the delights on this earth. It can be anything we please, a growing plant, water, little living things, running water, a tree. Look at these things willfully yet tranquilly. Refuse the messages which countless other aspects of the world are sending. And so concentrate your whole attention in this one act of loving. That's what we're getting to. This one act of loving. So can we settle ourselves into this one act of loving with a person, with something, all along? And watch how we find Ango. The Ruth, writer Ruth Ozeki wrote recently in an in a article in Tricycle on the artist's role in, in crisis. It's worth reading, but this was one line that stood out for me. Maybe sometimes we have to make things up to tell the truths that alter outcomes. In other words, we can make change happen, and we, can, we can't do this alone. I think this is the vital function of imagination, that we can create worlds and inhabit them and invite people into them. And that inviting in is such an important part. So the invitation of Ango is to invite ourselves in to feel the hints of a world vaster than what we can describe. That's art practice. So, let things be fresh and unfamiliar. So, then there's earth body practice. I love this one too. (laughs) Hundreds of grasses and myriad forms, each appearing as it is, are nothing but the Buddha's true Dharma body. So all of us can focus on one aspect of an earth family that you would like to learn about. And I've been reading them. Joshin picks squirrels. I love that. I was, just, I was just asking someone, I never see baby squirrels. I mentioned this on a, on a, on a, a meetup. And so I get a letter back. Somebody's partner is like a, a natural science person. And they said that they stay in the nest until they're actually full grown. So we don't see baby squirrels. But I was like, I see squirrels here, and I really don't know about squirrels. So what is something you would really like to know about? Pigeons? I don't know. Cockroaches? (laughs) Maybe it's stars. Maybe it's the constellations. So you can go wherever you want, but I would love it if you participate, and then we each turn in like a, 
three by five card on what we explored and just make a quilt of the nature of the city, just get a constellation of where we were looking and what we were relating to in the city. If anybody wants to, any artists here want to help put that together, if you just got a vision, see me. Um, I'd love to do it. But what would you work with? What, what would you want to know about? I, I, I'm going to work with something I see here in the city. And it uh, helps develop our reverence for life, right? That each, each of these things want to live, want to be, came into being. And they have a life and a struggle to, to live, to want to grow. Like, just look at the trees here coming out of the sidewalks. Is that miraculous? Like, they just won't stop. They're just ripping the sidewalks. Or you go down and there's this flower growing through the crack in the sidewalk. You know? We know that if we weren't here, it's all over, right? Plants everywhere. The vines on the buildings that would just grow and grow. Yeah. And all of these other, and just our zazen together. This place will be available to you. We have zazen on Tuesday through Friday night, and you can just come and sit. Have this as a refuge. Just come and sit and be with sangha, be with community. Receive teachings. In closing, I wanted to read something uh, by Dogen. Um, and, you know, when we intensify, that doesn't mean, as I was saying to someone, doesn't mean freak out. doesn't mean get anxious. That's not what intensify means. It means more dharma. We're, 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 we're in the reins. We're, we're, we're intensifying. So more dharma is more dharma, which is great. So, now this is to give you a sense of Dogen's language and how he organized Ango. So again, it, it's going to be, it's going to turn you around in the language. So just let it be dark to your mind, but radiant to your heart. So this is in the Ehe Kuroku on the first day of the practice period, which is today. Dogen ascended the teaching seat, held up a whisk, which has got horse hair on it, held up a whisk, and drew a circle in the air and said, Our practice period, peaceful abiding, goes beyond this. Again, he lifted his whisk and drew another circle and said, Peaceful dwelling is to study this thoroughly. So it is said, quote, The Buddha, who is an awesome sound king of emptiness, was granted and received this life vein, this transmission, and in becoming a Buddha, becoming an ancestor, is transmitting the Dharma. How does this happen? Dogen continues. Bit by bit, from moment to moment, 
make each moment of this practice period become the top of your head, the crown of your skull. Don't regard this as the beginning of your practice. Don't regard this as going beyond. Even if you see this as beginning, kick over, kick away the beginning. Even if you see this as going beyond, stomp out going beyond. Just stomp out going beyond. Then you are not bound by beginning and going beyond. How is it? Then Dogen picked up his whisk, drew a circle again, and said, Within this nest, dwell peacefully. Within this nest, dwell peacefully. So we'll have endless practice opportunities to recognize this Buddha mind that is steady and eternal, regardless of fluctuations of good and bad, good days, bad days. Every day's a good day in practice. Even bad days, what we call bad days, if we're practicing, one teacher said, every day's a good day. I wanted to push his seat over the first time I heard that. How is every day a good day? Look what's going on. Really? How do we say that in a time of this war, this climate crisis? Every day's a good day. What are we being shown? Where does that happen? How does it not depend on conditions, favorable or unfavorable? So we want to, in our practice, expose the unshakability of the awakened mind to verify the heart of who we are and to do this with each other. We turn to practice so we don't get lost in that congestion of our mind. It's so easy to do. Oh my God. So in that con- we need the congestion to turn to practice, if you're recognizing that. And we give each other support to do this. We're not expecting monsoon rains in Brooklyn during the 90 days. So, as I said, I don't really have to um, say that these are extremely challenging and confusing and frustrating times that we're in, and dangerous times. Yes, I think I could say that. Therefore, as we enter this practice period, Let's reflect on the motivation of the seekers who organized the RAINS retreat. May we share their intentions, and may their intentions inform everything we do during this time. May this practice period be a peaceful dwelling for all beings. 
So I look forward to riding with you in under this moon. And please find it in this city. I, I sometimes have to go blocks before I catch it. So keep an eye on the moon, the mine moon, the concrete moon. Yeah. Thank you, and I look forward to seeing you all. Thank you for listening. To find out more about the Zen Center of New York City's programs, retreats, and residency, please visit our website at zmm.org slash zcnyc.